brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Happy days are here again, Higher Side Chatters. Hope you're doing well out there. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And if you ask me, it's getting harder and harder to sift through the layers of lies and deception and a whole host of areas. Because we've been manipulated from so many different angles and for so long that the truth of some things might just be gone. It's a scary thought, I know, but couple that with the fact that the majority of us wade through the shallow routine of a dumbed-down slave species with little thought put into what we are or what reality even is, so the lies don't even have to be that great when so few are even trying to crack the case. And the totality of our cabal-crafted context for history, health, science, and the rest of it is hard to fully grasp when nobody is born into a blank canvas, and from day one you're thrust into a paradigm that the top-down controllers of empire have been managing and manipulating for centuries to align with what best suits the preservation of their place at the top above all else. You know it, I know it, and today's returning guest Max Egan definitely knows it, as he's been holding nearly everything up to the light for a thorough examination for many years now. If you missed the show we did last year, Max is an artist, musician, and powerful voice in the realm of independent and alternative research. He's the host of his own show called Surviving the Matrix, and his website, The Crow House, and YouTube channel by the same name are some of the first places I look for new updates. I had a blast last time, and I'm sure today will be no different. The captain of The Crow House, the leader of the pack, and the music-making Matrix survivor himself, Max Egan, welcome back to the higher side. Good to be here, Greg. Nice to come on and have a chat with you, brother. Thanks for asking me on. Yes, I am really psyched. All jazzed up. Thank you. I really think you're one of the greats, and I kind of tried to center that intro around just how long and deep the lies we live with go, because history is something so many people take for granted, even if they see the deceptions of today, and yet the empires of their day were no less manipulative. So who really knows how bad it is or how far the official story is from the truth? I know these are questions you comment on a lot, are false chronology, cycles of catastrophe, land they're hiding. And I guess to kick this off, I would ask if the depths of our mainstream history is something that maybe some listeners 
would consider not all that important or impactful or relevant to their lives today, what are they missing? Why is this a bigger deal than one might think at first? Well, as said by Marcus Garvey, a man with no history is like a tree with no roots. You know, if we don't know how we got here, if we don't know where we came from, then how can we ever understand the position that we're in and where we're going mm. is the thing. You know, I mean, we're locked in this whole concept that, you know, there's been this gradual progression up from this Romanesque type society, this feudal culture that's progressed over the last 2,000 years that has brought us to this point that we're at now where we've got all these nation states all sort of warring with each other and we've got this sort of vision of what the future is going to be once we can, you know, bring everybody into the fold and create some united global family sort of thing, you know. So this whole concept has been given to us and, and that's that's how we aim ourselves. I mean, that's everything we do in our lives, everything we, we look at in the political spectrum or even in the business spectrum is all designed around that model, around that belief of, of that reality being a fact. But what if it isn't? What if it's completely different? What if there was a completely different culture that lived on this world up until, you know, quite recently, as recently as a couple of hundred years ago, and that what we're doing now is simply strip mining this place for other interests that we don't even know about, and all of this stuff that we aspire to become is all completely meaningless, you know? And that's the thing, you know, when you, you look at this society, the things that we aspire to become, the success that we're given to aspire to, you know, to be, you know, top of the pile of whatever, you know, successful in this field or that field, I know people that have done that. They've got to that area. They've done all the university studies. They've got the businesses. They've got the jobs. They've done the stuff. They've got, you know, lots of money in the bank. They've become entrepreneurs, millionaires, got to the top of the pile and got there and gone, well, there's nothing here. What was it all for? You know, so if we don't understand history and we don't understand where we come from, we, we can have no clue as to why we're doing any of the things we're doing and to where we're going. So it is extremely important, brother. Mm, amen. Yes, you can't know where you're at or where you're going if you don't know where you came from. And the history that they seem to craft for us also conveniently oftentimes keeps us divided, keeps us vested in historical, regional, racial tribal conflicts. A lot of times we don't even have much vested in this other than the idea that we should because of our location in the world, things like that. And that is a useful tool for control as well. Well, it is. And, and people have grudges that they bear, which are deep-seated racial grudges, hereditary grudges for situations that they never participated in themselves right. and that they can't even actually be sure even really happened. For example, the American slave trade. You know, there's a lot of grudges, deep-seated grudges held by black people in, in the United States because of the treatment of their ancestors. But really, when you start looking at the slave trade, you start realizing that a, a lot of this was convoluted and, and not true as well. And there's every indication that a lot of the black people in America are actually Native Americans, actually born there, weren't brought there on slave ships at all. So it's things like this that are put into people's minds and these hereditary grudges, ancestral grudges that people hold simply because of what is written in a book that they've read and it's created that mindset in them. But it's nothing that, that was ever affected them personally, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, if you really start looking through history, and that might be a really radical thing to say to people, that the concept we've been given about the American slave trade is actually questionable. Well, that might be a, 
a really big paradigm shift for people. But I'm just using that as an example. For example, like people who fought in the war between the the Serbs and the, the Bosnians, the Serbians and Bosnians, these people are now the the children of those people who fought in that war have grudges against them. You know, the Serbs hate the Croatians and all this sort of stuff. And yet they never fought in the war themselves. It was just their parents who were involved in this battle, which was all contrived by the governments anyway, nothing really to do with the people, and yet they still hold these ancestral grudges. So when you realize that a lot of the grudges that we hold towards other countries and other races are simply because of what we've been taught our history to be, and you realize that this history is false, it's simply been put there to keep you divided, then you start to see a bigger picture. You know, And when you start looking at the wars, the wars we've had in the last 100 150 years, if you really start looking at them, none of them have been fought under the, the pretenses that we've been given. Most of them have been about destroying ancient infrastructure, destroying any trace of the old world, and depopulation. That's why most of the wars are happening in the Middle East at the moment. That's why you've got ISIS, which is apparently a Muslim extremist organization, and all they're doing is going across the Middle East destroying ancient Muslim infrastructure, destroying Aleppo, Palmyra all these places which give you an indication of what the old world was actually like. They want all this gone. And that's what most of these wars are about. That's why they carpet bomb Berlin, why they carpet bomb London, why they carpet bomb Dresden, all these ancient cities. They just want to turn them to rubble so we don't have any trace of the old world left, so we don't be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm, I'm so glad you said that because I've been really intrigued by that sort of thing being a deeper motivation behind the invasion of Iraq. We have that story of so-called looters targeting the Baghdad Museum, but witnesses say they were in some sort of uniform and it seemed much more calculated than random. But yeah, why not expand that out to even more wars and great points about ISIS and depopulation too. It seems like the wars are always about something deeper than what they tell us on the surface. Most people just eat it up, but if they smell deception at all, they might think, well, it's about oil and controlling resources. But on a deeper level, maybe it's about controlling something they're not even aware of, like the manufactured timeline of history itself. Well, yeah. I mean, even oil, when you look at it, you know, the concept that oil's a scarce commodity is wrong. Oil's abiotic. It's, it's produced. All the wells replenish themselves. There isn't a well that's ever gone dry. All this talk about peak oil and all this sort of stuff. Now, oil should be the cheapest fuel on earth. And it doesn't need to be as pollutive as what it is either. We could, you know, burn oil in a way that it didn't pollute anything. So, you know, all of this is contrived. It's all done by design. You know, all the things that we're given to provide scarcity to us are simply for that reason, to provide scarcity. Even the money system, the whole thing is designed to provide scarcity for people. It doesn't provide abundance. It limits you from access to the things around you, putting this barrier of, of, of money between it. You know, you've got to collect paper in order to have access to the crops that are growing right there. But they're growing right there, you know. But you can't touch them without this, this using this interface, you know. And it's all designed to keep you in scarcity, you know, and the need for energy and all this sort of stuff, you know. But most of what the wars are about, if you really start looking back and you look at, you know, two countries go to war, they don't go and bomb the government buildings, they go and bomb the whole country. They turn the whole country to rubble. What for? And they're not the people who are fighting the war. Why are you blowing up all the old infrastructure? And that's what they do in all these wars. Look at the wars that are being waged in Yemen at the moment. You know, Saudi Arabia just blasting that that country to oblivion. Some of the oldest cities in the world are still left in Yemen. 
It's one of the poorest nations in the Middle East and some of the oldest cities on earth. And like I said, what they destroyed through Syria, you know, Palmyra and Aleppo, all these incredibly old places. The way they bombed Dresden after World War II just turned it to, to rubble, a firestorm three kilometers high. Berlin, London, all of these old places. The great fires that they've had around the United States, you know, the fire of San Francisco, the great fire of New York, the fire of Los Angeles. If you really start looking through the history of the United States, you'll find that there were big fires in just about every major city in the United States all around the same time. The whole world seems to have gone through massive changes around about between 1800 and 1840. And when you start looking at the uh, things like the Civil War, and even the wars here in Australia, the colonization of Australia, a lot of this stuff seems to be cleanup operations after something that happened that wiped out the previous culture that was here. And we're finding remnants of this culture still all over the world. You know, even here in Australia, we find old buildings which seem to be out of place. There's no way these could have been built by the convicts that came out here so early. And same in the United States. You know, a lot of the stuff that's there, and you'll find similar stuff in all countries is the thing. You know, why would it be that countries in like Japan and the Philippines and Indonesia and Australia and Canada and Africa and you name it all have the same buildings with the same architecture, the exact same government buildings, the same gargoyles, the same scroll work, the same stuff that's there all around the world. And when you look at the modern buildings we build, they're very, very different to these old buildings and we can't even build buildings like this anymore. So if we're progressing as a species and progressing as a society, how come we've lost so many skills? Why can't we do any of the stuff we used to be able to do? You know, because the reason we can't, I would suggest, is because it was actually done by a different culture. And we've just been we haven't been you know, we, we haven't had that information passed on to us. We haven't even had our, our true language passed on to us. And that's a, a really insidious thing, the loss of a true root language which would enable us to be able to express ourselves properly. I mean, when you take someone's language from them, you know, some of the ideas that we have in our heads, some of the spiritual concepts, some of the things you want to say to people, and we, we don't know quite how to say what we feel. We just don't have the words for it. That's that's what we're facing. You know, Taking the language from people is, is to take take their soul from them. You know? And we've had so much taken from us, our language, our history. You know, We really have no clue about the position that we're in, which is why it's so difficult for people to ever find a way out of this, you know, with even all the stuff we do in the so-called truth movement or resistance, whatever you want to call it, you know, trying to find ways. Everyone goes, oh, what's the game plan? What's the, or how can we do it? What's, what's the action plan, you know? It's because we don't have any idea what this world is and how we got here. It's so difficult to find a formulator an escape plan, you know? Yes, yes, so true. And... You know, as I mentioned to you when we set this up, in the little live chats I've been doing with the listeners, this idea of the mud flood keeps coming up. And I went out to learn about it and did so largely through what you've said about it. And this is very related to what we're kind of wading into. Can you break us into what the mud flood researchers are suggesting and what they're looking at that kind of is putting them on this path that this cataclysm might have happened that just isn't in the recorded history, and it actually might have been more recent than we realize. Well, it's, it's like I said, the buildings that we're finding all around the earth, if you start digging in, this has been happening. There's been buildings that have been constructed in places even such as Seattle, Washington, 
where people just dig out a lot, you know, they knock a building down, they start digging out the foundations to put in a new building. And as they're digging down, they find that the buildings next door have one or two floors below ground that they didn't know was there. You know, and it's not foundations, it's windows, it's doorways. You know, and we're finding this here in Australia, we're finding it in the United States, we're finding it in Europe, we're finding it in Russia, right across Europe from, from Russia right down to Italy. So that's right across Europe, finding it in the Netherlands as well, where there's a whole layer below ground that people don't know is there. And it appears that something happened. We're calling it a mud flood, for want of a better word, but something happened which buried a lot of the civilization that we have now in at least 12 to 18 feet of soil, and then they simply paved new roads, put in new doorways, and pretended all that stuff wasn't there below ground, and they repopulated the world. And the civilization that we live in now is actually built on top, on the bones of a previous civilization, and we just simply moved in and took over their buildings, what was left of them, the stuff that was still left above ground. And you've got to wonder how many times this happened. And it seems like a freaky thing for people to even think of, but the fact is that the physical evidence is there. As I said, it's it's right around the world. So the question is, what caused it? This is this is where it kind of you know people start trying to pull it apart by saying, oh, you're saying this and you're saying that. Well, no, we're not actually saying anything. We don't know what caused it. A lot of people have put out speculation. Couldn't could it have been a solar minimum where the world froze over and the the sludge was that was left over from the thaw caused the mud flood. Could it have been seismic activity which caused the ground to liquefy? Could it have been some sort of a plasma outburst which caused the ground to liquefy? There's all sorts of you know possibilities, but the fact of the matter is we don't know. We don't know what caused it, and we start getting in trouble when people start making claims about. Well, I think it was this, and I think it was that, and you get into arguments about it. What we're what we're you know, identifying is the fact, the, the indisputable fact, that right around the world there is a layer of civilization buried beneath the streets that nobody knows is there. And the question is, I mean, these buildings are reasonably modern buildings, at least you know, not, not older than three or 400 years old. So if they're buried in 12 to 18 feet of soil, this was obviously a major event there was obviously a worldwide event because it's we're finding it in all countries. So the question is, why is it in our history books? Why isn't this taught to us? We're given these concepts, you know, Columbus went out and colonized America and Captain Cook came out and colonized Australia and all the stuff we're given, this academic timeline. Well, where do you factor in this mud flood? Where do you factor in the fact that these buildings were already here when Captain Cook arrived and half of them got buried in 18 feet of mud and then we just moved into the real estate? How come this isn't in the history books? Because that's what the physical evidence says. So, you know, it's an interesting thing, but it's kind of a bitter pill for someone who's who's spent their lives, you know, studying history. Because when we study history, we, we go to the academic sources, we look through the history books, and we read that, and we, we believe the timeline to be correct. But what if the timeline's wrong? What if they manufactured the timeline? What if they inserted the Dark Ages to push everything back in time a thousand years, and all the stuff they're talking about, the stuff that supposedly happened a thousand years or two thousand years ago, actually happened a few hundred years ago, and all of the wars were fought contemporaneously. You know, what if the Battle of Troy was fought at the same time as the overthrow of Genghis Khan, which was fought at the same time as the Napoleonic War? What if all these wars were fought contemporaneously? 
you know, because there's a, a good deal of evidence to suggest that they very likely were. And what it was really all about was a war to overthrow the civilization that was here before us, which was uh, basically based in a, in a nation called Tartaria, mm -hmm. which took up all of Russia, Mongolia, most of Europe, China, India, Asia, parts of North America, Australia, the Philippines. This was all part of the Tartarian culture, which is why all of these buildings exist all around the world. And then something happened which wiped that culture out. It got expunged from our history books. The nations were divided up into what we see now as nations. We were fed this this history, which which gave us this whole feudal, you know, reality that from thousands of years ago that was brought us up to here. You know, but if you really start looking at things, there's evidence the whole world was repopulated with children at the end of the 1800s, and they just taught them any history they wanted to teach them. You know, and and that's the thing. You know, and when we like I said, when you start going and looking for books as your source of information, well. Who wrote the book? How do you know it to be true? But if you go and actually start looking around the world and using your eyes, you know, it, the world tells a very, very different story to what's been given to us in books, brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It sounds like this mud flood could be considered a wiping of the slate in some certain terms. And you touched on something that was also on my list to get to because it is just so mind-blowing to me, and that's this thread of a mass repopulation of the earth with children around 1880 or so. I guess if people wanted to look into this, the terms they'd search for are orphan trains or foundling homes. But this is pretty wild. If you look at even, the, I didn't even know there was an official story, but if you look at the official story of it on Wikipedia, it does say the orphan train movement was a supervised welfare program in America that transported orphaned and homeless children from crowded eastern cities of the United States to foster homes located largely in rural areas in the Midwest. The orphan trains operated between 1854 and 1929, relocating about 200,000 orphaned, abandoned, abused, or homeless children. I have never heard that official story, but you can see the photos. They're black and white. There are all these kids loaded up on trains and this was never taught to me. And this is not even that long ago. 1929. My mom was born in 1942. Just this is like very recent and no one talks about it. But I guess the the alternative story here or, you know, maybe the true story that this Wikipedia article is covering up is that there was a need for a repopulation, not just a, I guess, redistribution of 200,000 homeless children, which that cover story doesn't even make much sense. Yeah, where do you get 200,000 homeless children? <laughs> if, you, if you look at the figures for Europe, the, there was 635,000 children trafficked around Europe in one year in 1880. There were 1,200 foundling homes in Florence, Italy. Just two of those homes received 97,000 children in one year. What? Where were all of these children coming from? You know, and they're saying we found these children just in rural areas and we brought them back here and we organized them and then we sent them out to rural areas. Well, what was that all about? Well, you found them in rural areas, you brought them to the cities, organized them, sent them out to rural areas. It doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Where did they all come from? Why were there so many foundlings? You know, when you, there were 100,000 children sent out to Australia as well, 100,000 sent out to New Zealand and Africa and all sorts of places these kids were being sent everywhere. And when you start looking at this, you know, the, the, the whole concept of what we're calling a reset, 
You know, perhaps there's a reset that happens. You know, perhaps these cataclysms that happen, such as the mud flood, happen as frequently as every two to four hundred years. Because when you start looking at things such as solar minimums, solar minimums always seem to cause massive changes. If you look at the history of solar minimums and you look at the history of maps, start looking through the maps. Man, there's certain maps that show California as an island, like three or four hundred years ago. And people say, oh, this is just how bad the map makers were. But there's a lot of maps that show California as an island. There's maps from the 1400s that show it as a peninsula. Then in the 1600s, they show it as an island. Then in the 1800s, they show it back as a peninsula again. And there's also, back in the 1600s, there's areas where there's a, an inland sea, a, a lake called Lake Kabasi, which was in the southwestern United States, which was quite a large lake, almost an inland sea. And if you look at maps in the 1400s, the Great Lakes aren't on the maps. Chicago's on the map, but the Great Lakes aren't there. What, they didn't look left and notice this huge body of water there? Or were the Great Lakes not there in the 1400s? So, you know, there, there seems to be earth changes that happen, according to the maps, around about every two to 400 years, and they seem to coincide with the solar minimums. We're heading into a solar minimum now. We're just heading into one. You know, they're selling it to the world as, as climate change, man-made climate change, which is completely ridiculous. Well, you know, climate change is man-made to a certain degree in as much as they're spraying the skies and they're using electromagnetic pulses and they're creating the weather themselves. Hmm. That's man-made climate change for you. It's not from us using plastic bags, you know, and, and driving oil-based vehicles, you know. So there's a lot to this. There's a lot of evidence which suggests that there is some sort of a major reset or some sort of a major cataclysm that happens every two to 400 years and they repopulate the world with children. Now, something else that I've been looking at and suggesting that people look at is these deep underground bases that we all know are there. These underground bases that you've got in the United States, and I believe we have them here in Australia as well, are, are huge, these, these bases. You, I'm sure you've done some research into it and seen some of the enormous mm -hmm. underground constructions that we've got. And you think about it, the, the Industrial Revolution was only 200 years ago, 250 years ago. So what? Seriously, we, we built all this stuff in the last 200 years. What, all of these big underground bases and all these things we built in the last 200 years, or were they already there? Were they there from the previous culture? Have they been there for a while? You know, you look at the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin. You remember the Pied Piper came and cleaned the town up of all the rats and they wouldn't pay him, so he stole the children. If you read the story, he came and stole the children. Where did he take them? He took them to a cave, took them underground. And if you go to Germany, you go to Hamelin, you talk to the people there, they'll tell you that's based on a real story. There was a time a couple of hundred years ago when all the children were stolen. And it wasn't just Hamelin. It was a lot of other villages as well. Everybody lost their children. And they all just disappeared. Were they taken underground because there was a reset coming? Is that where the 8 million children that go missing every year now are going? I mean, sure, some of them get taken to you know, pedophiles and they get used by the elite to do all their blood sacrifice and all this terrible stuff they do, but it, you know, not 8 million a year. I mean, are these kids going underground? Are they being retrained for the next reset to repopulate the world after the next cataclysm? You know, why are all the buildings that we build in our culture essentially made to be pulled down? Nothing's made to last. It's all temporary accommodation. It doesn't matter how big the skyscraper is or the building or whatever. It's all made out of cheap brickwork, cheap concrete, cheap stucco, gyprock. It's all stuff that's made to be pulled down. It's all temporary accommodation. This, this 
civilization doesn't build anything to last. You know, you look at the cities such as that new city that was found in Turkey. I can't remember the name, but there's a new city that was found in Turkey, and it's underground, holds thousands of people. Why is that there? Is that there to protect themselves from when these resets and these solar minimums happen? You know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of things that are unanswered, but there is an awful lot of evidence to say that the world was repopulated with children around about 1880. Even when you start looking at Australia here, Port Arthur, the prisons here, they say convicts were all brought out here to Australia. The prison cells in Port Arthur are so small. You know, some of them, like most of them, they're only, only large enough to hold a cot and to walk around the cot. You know, these cells looked like they were made for children. So is that what happened? Was the world actually repopulated with children? Is there resets every every two to 400 years? And are we heading for another one now? Is that why there's so much distraction happening at the moment, so much theatre to keep us distracted from, from what is happening right under our noses? <laughs> Man, provocative, provocative. Yes, uh, I believe that city in Turkey is called something like Derinkuru or Derinku That's something. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Which and those tunnels and those underground structures are pretty much everywhere. And just to hit back on this orphan trains and repopulation thing, I mean, the suggestion, as you say, is that the elite might know that a big wipeout is coming and prepare for this in secret. It does make me think of that weird thread with Epstein's ranch where he wanted to have a baby factory where he'd impregnate 20 women at a time and get his genes out there. I'm sure a lot of the elite have these sorts of creepy, dark ideas, especially if they think that they're going to need to repopulate from the ashes of some cataclysm, natural or directed, that wipes out, I guess, I don't know, a, a third or two-thirds of the surface. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a hard one to know. and It's a hard one to say, yes, this is what's happening, and yes, it's true, and no, it isn't, or whatever. I mean, it's just something that's incredibly interesting, and it's a thread we've found. And the the fact is that this this mud flood is real. I mean, this the fact that the, a lot of these buildings have been buried is is real, and the fact that all of these children were shipped around the world and the foundlings and all of this this is all true. This is all historical facts. So the question is, why is none of it in our history books? These underground cities, such as the one in Turkey, why is none of this in our history books? Why is there no record of building that incredible sewer system that exists below San Francisco, all of that sort of stuff? Was that really built by that culture, by our culture? You know? So these are questions that need to be answered. And even just realizing this is a, you know, just asking these questions is a, is a huge realization for people. See, that's the thing, you know, when we're looking for ancient history and we're looking for questions about the past, you know, typically we go to history books or we go to places such as Egypt, look at the pyramids, we go to, you know, the Peru, look at the Mayan culture, go, go look to all these old places, go to Europe, you know, look at the old castles. We never really look right in our own backyard at our own cities in the United States, here in Australia, and look at these things. Some of the, the buildings here we've got in Australia are incredible. Some of the buildings here that, you know, like the, the Queen Victoria building in Sydney, we're told was built in 1820, and yet we're told again, that the country was populated by convicts were brought out here in 1778. So what in, in, in 40 years, 50 years, they'd built this building. So what these convicts were just these incredible stonemasons and they built these quarries and they had all this incredible machinery to quarry these blocks and build all this stuff. Or was it already there and we just moved into it? 
you know. And why is this exact same architecture with these copper domes and all this stuff found in so many cities and so many places all around the world, all built in exactly the same style, and it's a style that we can't, you know, duplicate today. So, and, and again, like I said, why, everything we build now is just all temporary. It's all ugly. And we're continually knocking down these incredibly beautiful old buildings and putting something like a car park in its place. You know, what for? You know, so these are questions that need to be asked. There's, there's an enormous effort to destroy this information. But the thing is, like I was saying, when people are looking for ancient history, very often they're going to foreign countries and not looking in their own backyard. And if you go walking around your own town with, you know, and you're aware of something like the mud flood happening, you start to see things very, very differently. And you start to look at the old town hall and some of the old buildings that exist there that we just told, oh, that's, that's from the old days. You know, what old days? What were those old days? You know, well, in, in the United States there, you're told, like, you were living in the Wild West back in the 1840s. Well, they were building these incredibly amazing European-style structures when it was the Wild West. Well, they built all those Roman-style aqueducts across Arizona and stuff. It was the cowboys out there doing that, was it? Well, they were fighting the Indians. Yeah, right. You know? So, you know, people need to look at this through different eyes. And, and once they do, once they become aware of the existence of or the, just the possibility of the mud flood and the possibility of these cyclic cataclysms and cyclic resets, the possibility of the world being repopulated by children and then simply being taught whatever history you want to teach them and start looking at their own towns. They start seeing things that are right in front of their faces that they never saw before. Mm. Wow, man, you are making great points. And you're definitely right about looking in our own backyards, especially Americans, because so often the steamroll of capitalism and, as you say, just this artificial, shallow type of laminate mall building, it's over pretty impressive stuff. And we've done many shows about the structures of indigenous cultures and that they're covered up by, as you say, parking lots, malls, highways. And I don't know, if you have more of a keen eye, you might see a lot of stuff you wouldn't expect to see, especially with this context. And in terms of the amount of people, let's talk population in general, because I've heard you talk about this on your show. And, you know, the numbers were given for the world population, 7.7 .7 billion, they say. You make the point that it just doesn't add up. I mean, if you walk backwards based on the growth rate of the population, you quickly run into problems. Can you elaborate on this? Because the implications are pretty interesting. And I'm just curious how you got to these Certain figures that you cited for like 1517, 1454, maybe it's not totally fresh, those details, but what can you say about the population numbers were given and why there might be a problem there? Well, even if you go back, even if you, it doesn't matter what version of history you want to believe in, whether you're an evolutionist who believes we've been here for 26,000 years or whatever, or longer, or whether you're a religionist who believes that you know, man is only 5,000 years old. The Earth is only 5,000 years old. Even even with that, even with 5,000 years, if you started off with Adam and Eve and you look at the rate of population, the, the rates of population double, and I can't give you the figures off the top of my head because I'm just not good with math. But even if you look at that, there should be you know, 100 times more people on the Earth now than what there is. That's the problem. You know, So the fact that there's only 7 billion people on the Earth indicates that history is wrong. It can't be possibly right because there would be 100 times more people on the Earth than there is. But if the population's wiped out every every two to 400 years, 
even, you know, see some people are saying every 2,000 years, some people are saying every 1,000 years, but it, it, it's a possibility that there's major cataclysms every 2,000 years, but there's also a possibility that there's a, a major reset that happens every two to 400 years with these solar minimums. So the thing is, you know, the, the population figures just don't add up, which however you look at whatever version of history you want, there should be more people on the earth, like a 100 times more people on the earth than what there is now. And when you look at places such as Africa and even places such as Australia, which I am now convinced should not be a desert, I'm convinced that Australia was once a lush tropical place, same as Indonesia, it was rainforest, and so was all the top of Africa, it was all rainforest. You know, this earth, you know, is capable of, of supporting at least 100 or 200 times the amount of people that we're told are on here now. But I don't even think there's 7 billion people on the Earth. I don't even think the Earth is even vaguely overpopulated. You know, it's just that people are, are pushed into cities and they think it's overpopulated. And, you know, all our farmlands are being destroyed through mining operations and stuff, so it's getting harder and harder to get food. So it seems like it's overpopulated. But it's not. I mean, you know, you get just get an aircraft and fly between cities in the United States. Look at all that vacant land between cities. The earth isn't overpopulated at all. It's just badly managed and it's all done by design. But none of the figures add up is the point. You know, none of the timelines, if you look at whichever version of history you want to look at, if you really look at the rate of population doubling, none of the timelines work at all. There should be more people on the earth if any of these timelines are correct. It doesn't matter whether it's like I said, evolution or, or creation, either one of them doesn't work with this current population figure that we're given. I hope that made sense. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it seems as if this overpopulation idea is just more programming in of that scarcity mindset. That makes sense to me. And I'm really intrigued by these ideas that we're on maybe some kind of construct or people farm that's just radically different from what we're presented with and we go through these routine wipes and and resets but i guess i would just think you know how radical could it really be because you got to fool a lot of people from a lot of different disciplines which is possible through academia and even though we do have some curious details to look at it just feels like we would find a lot more flaws or dig up a lot more items that don't match the history or even stories from our own families like your great grandma barely survived the big cataclysm of 200 years ago you know stuff like that i don't know that that's the part that where, where i'm i'm struggling well there's people you know there is people in europe who i have met who've said like there's an old lady i met she's about 80 and she says that there was a mud flood and that they changed our history because her mother told her about it so there is, you know, some people that have the knowledge. I've found that there are three elders in the centre of Australia, like three, three people in the centre of Australia who can still speak the old Magyar language that the Australian Aboriginals used to speak before colonisation happened. So the problem is, you know, the lifespan of humans, you know, we live, you know, 50 to 100 years and so over that period things get lost unfortunately and and what they did here in australia like the stolen generation when they took all the children from their parents and they moved them all around and settled them with white families and you know they totally decimated the culture so none of the information was passed on you know and all you've really got to do to hide information 
uh, the way they have is, is create something like the baby boomers, just massive amounts of population really quickly so that there's too many people and nothing gets heard, nobody gets heard. You know, like they've done with the internet. The way to stop all the very profound voices from ever being heard is to give everybody a soapbox so that everybody has their two cents worth so that nobody gets hurt. So we're in that sort of a situation as well. You know, but the point is, you know, we don't know. We don't know what happened. All we know is that what we're given is wrong. You know, this mud flood is real because there's a lot of stuff that exists below ground that isn't in our history books. So something happened to change that. There's a lot of evidence around the world. Even if you go to, you know, Peru, go to Machu Picchu and go to Sacsayhuaman and places like this, these walls are not thousands of years old. These walls look very, very recently built, like only a couple of hundred years old. The joins on them, the, the 45-degree bevels on them, these haven't got weather erosion. So, you know, you've got to wonder when these things were built. And if you really start looking at the concept of them changing history and pushing everything back a thousand years in history, it all begins to make sense. There's also a plaque that exists. Now, we're taught, you know, the Napoleonic War was fought it was Napoleon fighting Alexander I of Russia, and it was a war between France and Russia. But yet there's a plaque that exists which shows Napoleon and Alexander on the same plaque with the inscription, in unity there is strength, which would indicate they're actually allies in the war and they were fighting someone else. And who they were fighting was very likely Tartaria. So, you know, I mean, it's not that far-fetched because all you've got to do is repopulate the world with children and teach them whatever history you want. You know, once you, you, you get children and take them into school and start teaching them, they're just going to believe it. And, you know, with the 60s as well, most of the, the people in the 60s were, were all on drugs. You know, all the families were on, on you know, headache powders and, and diet suppressants and, and Bex powders and Ford diet slimming tablets and all sorts of things which, which messed up their psyches. All the introduction of makeup and estrogen and all the stuff. So, you know, a lot of stuff was done to the human race through the 50s and 60s where I think they would have had a lot of their knowledge taken from them and, and not even known that it was done. Memories just would have disappeared from their minds and they never would have known that they even disappeared. That's the thing with a memory. You know, a memory disappears. How do you remember it's gone, you know? So you look at the, the, the chemical dumbing down that's happened to this species over the last 100 years, the advent of television, programming people, teaching them what to think through alpha waves, through the television. So there's a lot of reasons why people wouldn't remember. But you'll find little shreds of memories in people. There are a few people here in the air. Like I said, there's one woman I spoke to in Europe. There's three elders in the center of Australia that actually do know the old language still. There is probably people around the place that have the information. But, you know, a lot of them I just guess don't remember it, brother. I just, you know, and, and like <laughs> I said, you know, we don't know. We don't know. That's why I don't even like to speculate on, on what happened and say, well, yep, this is what happened. The world was this, and then this happened, and that happened, and Tartaria existed, and then there was a war here, and then that. A lot of people are trying to promote this and, and give you the timeline. And, you know, all we can do is piece pieces together and see what we come up with. But the one thing we do know is that what we're given makes no sense whatsoever. Indeed. And hey, that is why I came to you. Because, of course, as you say, there's a lot of people kind of promoting these ideas on their YouTube channel, going over the mud flood, going over Tataria. And 
There's a lot of speculation going out there, but all you're saying is, look, here are some things to look at, to examine, exhibits A, B, C, and D, all the way to Z that just don't add up, and we got to figure out why that is. But, all right, let's say, as you say, maybe we are getting ready for another cycle, and the slate wipes clean, and two-thirds of us, maybe more, are gone, and they repopulate things. There's still a ton of cars out there, cell phones out there, flat screen TVs. I mean, just looking around my office at all the consumerist bullshit that I really don't need, ceiling fans. I mean, we never find things like this by digging down. I mean, not at the scale in which they exist. I mean, I guess previous rounds could definitely be different, but there's a lot of uh, waste created by a culture like ours. Yeah. Would it just disappear? Well, how do we know that this type of waste was created by the previous culture? Because as the Earth becomes more and more strip mined, what if the Earth is being mined? And what if every time they've got to a certain level, they just reset it and start again? And the culture gets less and less refined along the way and becomes obviously more and more pollutive along the way because we've got less and less resources to use. But the thing is, as well, with anything, like I said, this, this whole culture is temporary. It's all, it's all temporary. Nothing we make here will last. There's, in a thousand years, if, there, if the earth was just to be you know, completely depopulated right now, all life was to disappear, or all people were to disappear anyway, in a thousand years from now, there'd be nothing of this culture left. Not one piece of concrete, not one piece of steel, not one cell phone, nothing. It'd all have gone back to the earth and returned to the earth. You know, the only things you'd find would be things that were fossilized in, in mud or something or things that were somehow preserved, in, you know, in some radical way, things that were frozen like the mammoths in Siberia or, you know, stuff that was encased in stone somehow through a, a lava flow or, you know, you wouldn't find anything of this culture to, to indicate that we ever existed. All you would find would be what we found remnants of the culture before this one things like the pyramids or the walls the mine walls and stuff like this so you know there's nothing there that would would remain brother so there's no reason to think that um, we would find anything of a previous culture depending and and again like it just depends as well i mean if it if it's a mud flood if it's something like we're, we're saying it's in our very cities that we're living in now like 12 to 18 feet well we're not digging there we're not going out in the highway here in the middle of Seattle and digging down in the highway to see what's below it. We're not digging in our backyard. We're going to places like you know, Palmyra or Egypt or any of these places where we're told that we've found a lost culture. We can go and you know, dig up pieces of earth and wear pots or something, you know. We're not looking in our own backyard. You know, how many mm. people go out in their own yard and start digging down to see if there's anything there? Not too many people. No. You know, so it's no surprise that we don't find anything. Well, it's absolutely true that we just take the system's word for so much. And I think those are valid points. And I think the best case to be made is just stacking up those odd things that don't match, as you say. And there are a, a few more if we revisit this nation of Tataria that is apparently wiped off the map. On old maps before, I guess, 1700, you will find it on there. And... It seems like maybe there was a war around 1600 to wipe them out. And in your videos or in your episodes, you've suggested that it could have been a war with the Khazarians. There's some evidence for that, I suppose. And they're definitely a dynasty that 
seems to have an ironclad grip on the financial system of this, you know, slavery society we're in today. So I could see that case being made, like crush out the more peaceful utopian society and come in, you know, claws out with this fractional reserve banking system. But I guess, can you tell us a little more about what we might know about Tataria? Obviously, they tried to wipe it out, but some evidence still remains. Well, the thing is that we don't know about Tataria. That's the thing. We know it was there. We know it was an actual culture. It was an actual country. They're telling us how it was just, it was the, the steppe people, you know, the Mongols and the Tatars and all these sort of people who lived out on the steppes. And it was just a region of, of area, like Africa is a region with all these different countries in it, you know. And, well, no, it had a flag. It had a flag which was a griffin, and it had another flag which was an owl. And there's every indication that Kiev was a Tartarian city, that Moscow was a Tartarian city. You know, what we know is that it, it was there. It was a real culture, and it was there. Who wiped it out is another question. You know, I've speculated it could have been the Khazars because, I mean, the Khazarian culture was wiped out apparently in the wars with Genghis Khan, and the Khazars became nomads and wandered around Europe, I have speculated that it was them who went and infiltrated the minds of the other cultures or whatever and formulated this war against the Tartarians. There's other people that have speculated the hidden hand that we're looking for is the Phoenicians who are doing all this stuff because there's a lot of Phoenician architecture and Phoenician culture which seems to have been implanted over the top of Tartarian culture. Like you'll find Tartarian buildings which look like they've got plantons put over the top of, of like certain gargoyles and stuff which you would attribute to the Phoenicians. So it would appear that they've sort of taken over and put their stuff over the top. That's that's one speculation as well. But the thing is we don't know. What we do know is that the culture was there as recently as 1,700 years ago. I mean as, as recently as the 1,700s. And it's now gone and that it's completely expunged from our history books. And that's very telling. That's not in our history books, you know. So, why would that be? And there's even talk in in the Nuremberg trials. They were talking about they were having a bit of a go at Russia because Russia had done all this stuff to wipe out the Tatar culture and Tatarian culture, and it said how damaging it was to wipe out a, a person's culture and to wipe out a nation's history. So, they were trying to put the blame on the Russians during World War Two, but I think yeah, you know, it's all it's all part and parcel to the same thing. They all work together. But, you know, I'm not one who really wants to speculate on, on what happened, what the war was, who the war was fought with, and, and the whole thing, because, you know, we're still finding out. And I don't want to be stating positives on things that I, I really don't know about and, you know, just opening it up for argument. I think it's important to put all the cards on the table and consider all possibilities. And someone else, actually, I want to mention, if you want to look into the mud flood and get more information on it, there's a Russian guy called Philip Druzenin. He's got a YouTube channel, I think, just called Philip Drizinen. And he's the guy who actually discovered these anomalies. He was in Russia, and he started looking around his own town and was, was the one who discovered this. And when I heard about what he'd been saying, like the next day after I watched one of his videos, I was walking through a town called Harlem in the Netherlands, and the, the guy I was walking with said, hey, Max, look at this. He took me to this building. And there, there it was. There was a building where they, they dug out the foundations to excavate to put in a new building, and there was this whole section below ground with, with whole rooms and a doorway which looked like it opened into the, the mud, you know, right pointing onto the street, but it was a doorway. Obviously, couldn't go anywhere, a dirt wall. 
but you know, it was a whole whole section, a whole layer of ground with bedrooms and all sorts of stuff, all below ground, and right there in Harlem. So I saw it for myself. He's someone that you really should look at and maybe have on to chat about if you wanted some more information on the mud flood, because he'll be able to give you the best information you'll find on it, because he's done the most research on that particular topic. Very cool. Very cool. I appreciate that. And I've seen those videos too, where people are looking at structures, looking at buildings and houses where there's windows underground. It doesn't make any sense at all. Clearly, they weren't built that way. So the dirt covered them up and this mud flood very well. I mean, that's a catch-all term, but it seems to be the catalyst. And the most fascinating aspect of Tataria to me is this idea of free energy technology being widespread because I've had a lot of guests talk about ether physics and the idea of extracting it from the environment with relatively basic technology that doesn't really need modern machinery or electronics to harness. And in some of these images, it looks like their architecture used a lot of steeples, peaks, and coil-looking things. And many of the images show light or energy coming off of these peaks. Maybe they had a civilization that did have wireless free energy. I mean, that is the suggestion, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's people that have done and actually put in patents for things that they're discovering and designing, which based around gradually expanding globes. So you've got a, a small globe on the top, bigger globe below it, bigger globe below it, like to make a spire out of these series of, of sort of balls looking, you know, and uh, domes. And they've got a, a copper wire configuration in the middle. And it's, it seems to be basically done through geometry. You can set up certain geometric structures and use certain elements to, to create them, such as copper, and you will harvest energy from the field. And that seems to be what happened. And that seems to be the way our cultures were, were functioning. See, and, that, and that's really the basis of what keeps us in this state of turmoil at the moment is this quest for energy. You know, all the wars we fight and all this stuff, you know, for oil or whatever, because we think, you know, this, this state of scarcity we're supposed to be in, all the work that we do, it's, it's all to provide energy, energy to heat your home, energy to cook your food, energy to put a roof over your head, all this stuff, all of it requires energy. If we had free energy, we wouldn't be doing any of the things we're doing. We wouldn't be running on the treadmill the way we're doing, you know, because all the stuff you do when you collect money, ultimately it's because you need to pay for energy. You know, the energy it takes to grow food, the energy it takes to transport the food, all of this stuff, if it was free, if all the trucks ran off ether energy, if everything ran off ether energy, we wouldn't be in the state that we're in. So that's why that's been taken from us, and that's why it is such a jealously kept secret. But there is every indication that free energy was a reality in the world as recently as uh, 300 years ago or even 200 years ago, possibly even even mid of the um, 1800s. Very, very possible that we, we still had free energy then. And that's what the Tartarian culture was based on. When you look at some of the big hotel buildings and stuff, some of the big hotels, the fireplaces in them, there's no room to build real fires in them. They've got these metal plates that look like they were simply heating plates. Another really interesting thing I've found about a lot of old hotels, which fascinates me no end, is that you can find rooms, hotels through Europe, and even hotels, I think there's one in I think Philadelphia, a 125-room hotel, and it has no bathrooms, no toilets. At all? No, they had to put them in later. So what were we living on? Were we living on the ether energy? 
Mm. You know, we're in such a different world. How can you have a 125-room hotel, and this is a luxury hotel, and it's got no toilets and it's only got two bathrooms, the communal bathrooms that everyone showered in. Very, very strange, brother. A lot, But a lot of the old buildings have no bathrooms in them and no toilets in them. And I just wonder what was going on. Why, why did they have to put sewage in all these buildings later? Were we – how different were we from what we are now? I, I find that incredibly fascinating. That's something I really don't have an answer for. Why are there no toilets in all these old hotels? That is strange. That is strange. I mean, obviously, they give us the outhouse story, but yet you go back way further than that, and there's all these advanced aqueduct systems. We're always told how great Rome's you know, system, water systems were, yet we don't hear about bathrooms. And the idea of living off the ether energy, there are people out there that consider themselves breatharians, that they either stare into the sun or... They just live off some type of energy. I mean, it's a very far out thing, but Nassim Harriman's a guy that I think is so wise, and yet he claims that when he was broke and studying physics, he didn't eat for a very, very long time, and he felt like he was living off some kind of energy. It's a rare thing, and it's out there, but there are examples. Yeah, well, I don't eat a lot, and I've actually got a friend, a good friend of mine in Spain who I've just spoken to the other day who just told me she's had a new experience, new spiritual level she's reached, and that she hasn't eaten since August. Wow. So I'm finding that to be quite interesting. I'm going to be catching up with her in February. But, yeah, I mean, the whole lot's incredibly fascinating, brother, and we don't have a lot of answers for it. But, you know, you look at some of those old buildings and those old castles through Europe and think how cold it gets in Europe. I mean, it gets freezing in, in Europe. You know, what, they didn't have central heating? They didn't have central heating. They didn't even have fireplaces in some of these castles. So how were they heated? How were people able to live there if they didn't have some sort of ethereal energy and some sort of ethereal heating system? They didn't have electricity to heat them. They didn't have fireplaces in the rooms that were big enough to even build a real fire in. So how were these buildings heated? They had to have been heated somehow. And, you know, there wasn't gas pipes and stuff back then. So, you know, they had to have been heated somehow. So ethereal energy is the only thing that really makes sense you know and you find a lot of old shots from the 1400s and 1600s and stuff you see you know street lighting and stuff up around the place and you see you know pictures of of, of stuff with with fantastic lighting no wires you've got to wonder i mean this can't just all be from candles so it would appear they had something very very different to what we've got now and it would also appear all the religions were quite tolerant of each other there were no wars the way we we see them now like i said i don't think any of these wars are fought under the pretenses that we're given anyway i thought they're all about depopulation and you know destroying all the old infrastructure so you know yeah very very different world brother but tartaria it's an amazing field of research to get into and there is a lot of information coming out about it now the old maps are fascinating the fact that this place is so predominant on the old maps and yet it's not in our history books. And that speaks volumes, the fact that it's not in our history books. And I can actually send you a picture, if you want, of um, a building site in Seattle, Seattle, Washington, where they just they were excavating next to a road and to put in a new, new foundations for a new high-rise. And there you see it, below ground, you see walls with windows and doorways. And these are painted walls, so they're obviously outer walls of a building. You know, and this is in, in Seattle. So... 
and it's going 12, 18 feet below ground. There's a whole nother level below ground. You've got to wonder how much of Seattle has got stuff below ground, how many other cities have got a culture below ground that we don't know is there. It's a fascinating field to get into, and it's a really eye-opening field to get into as well because you realize that, you know, this is major. It's major. And if, if our history is anything even close to correct, well, you think they would have included something as major as a cataclysm which covered the world in 18 feet of mud. Yes, indeed. Man, this has been a lot of fun. We really went deep on this one, and I really appreciate the work you do, the open-mindedness, the tone, the research, and your time today, man. And I really hope the people do as well. I'm sure they do. Before we go, remind them where they can get more Max Egan in their lives. You'll find everything you need to know about me, everything I do on thecrowhouse.com. There's links to my YouTube channel, my Facebook pages, my Steam, everything. It's all there on thecrowhouse.com. No subscriber section, nothing to buy. It's all free. I don't do commerce. I've never even monetized my YouTube account. This is one of my, a little bit of an enigma for them, I think. But, yeah, it's, it's all for free, everything I do. If you do want to support, you can, but you can have it all for free anyway if you can't. So thecrowhouse.com, and I look forward to seeing you there and hearing from you sometime. And it's been a nice come and have a chat to you, Greg. Happy to do it again anytime. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Well, killer stuff, man. Try and stay safe out there, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. For sure, brother. Back at you. Well, it's the end of the year as we know it, and I feel fine. Max Egan. Taking it to 11 in the best of ways. I do find hidden history very provocative, or really, I should say, fabricated history. Phantom time, as some are calling it. And I don't know. Is it possible that megalithic ruins and cave art are hundreds of years old and not tens or hundreds of thousands? Could the pyramids of the world be Tartarian ether energy devices from just 500 years ago, before this altruistic empire was erased from the human story. I think it's possible. If you place something like a mud flood around the time of the invention, or should I say reintroduction of printing, there's a serious choke point there, where the church and the royal families really did have full control of the records. The problem is that I'm not a historian, so to even really conceive of the totality of material is a bit difficult. Is it a lot? Is it a little? What do you and I really know about that? I can say that more than a few times with these sorts of episodes, I'll follow a particular document through, and they often do come down to one or two items often recorded by someone attached to a royal society or the Vatican. And is that really just the sad reality of how things shook out? Or is that something to be suspicious of? It's unfortunate that we only know a history of deceptive and abusive empiric authority. So if the credibility and the trust is broken, and it is, some pretty out-there ideas start to bubble up to the surface and sound quite reasonable. Is that our fault or is that theirs? Hard to say. I've even read about certain kings and emperors that wanted their reign to look longer than it actually was, so they altered the official history of the country. So let's say some egotistical king does that, 
And then that country either collapses or is overtaken. And even if the invaders preserve the nation's history, it wouldn't be right. And now that's just taken as a given. It's weird to go back to a time where a lot more areas of the globe were susceptible to someone pulling some North Korea shit and just saying, nah, my reign started 250 years earlier. Now go tell everybody. And they literally could do that. They could just say, my family's been in control for 10 generations instead of two. In the same way that they would just demand that everybody accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the religious side of this isn't even controversial. We know that's a dark part of history, that psychopathic leaders cared so much about controlling the ideas in your head that we had things like the Inquisition. Of course, spreading Christianity is probably just a cover story like spreading democracy, but controlling someone's spiritual self is huge. We've heard a lot of our magic-practicing guests talk about it as a technology. Well, what if there was also a campaign to wipe out another kind of technology, a more traditional type? What if these towers and steeples and geometrically impressive old structures were used to put out this energy, and then they just became churches? And anything useful in that steeple was just replaced with a bell. We've talked before about churches and cathedrals at one time being centers for healing, that entheogens were involved, that certain tones played on an organ in a room designed to reverberate those tones could facilitate some sound healing. Well, the Tartarian Empire hypothesis is really just about giving a source to all those possibilities. And then I would think, well, how come Nikola Tesla never talked about Tartaria or anything in the realm of his work being old and not new? Well, Ernst Wilhelm Vandenberg was just here, a guy who spent more time reading Tesla's letters and notes firsthand than maybe anyone I know. Possibly Eric Dollard is up there too. But I asked Ernst about the amount of Tesla's material that we have available, and he said that definitely more than half is still classified. So maybe he did write about it. I mean, it's just annoying when we have all this goddamn secrecy. Why is there anything classified that doesn't directly relate to large-scale weapons making? That's the only reason I could justify. And, well, maybe some of Tesla's work is actually related to that, but you know what I'm saying. So much knowledge and original documentation rotting in Vatican archives, and why do we still allow that? I wouldn't be opposed to saying hey, you acquired a lot of this knowledge and these works in ways that would be considered immoral today. So to make amends and for the betterment of mankind, you need to open up your archives to the world if you want to continue. That seems fair to me, and it seems like if there's any proof of manipulation, this is where it would be. And then think about the mud flood idea. Well, the Easter Island head statues turned out to have bodies underneath. They were buried. People talk about Gobekli Tepe being intentionally buried. Well, right, yeah, this is what we're talking about. So this was a good introduction to some of that material. Max gave us some good names to follow up on. I also found someone named Marcia Romelho, who 
Seems like she's been a big part of this research as well. And just to reiterate some of what we talked about today, I was going to read this quote because it sums it all up in just a few sentences. But Marcia says, The Tartarian architecture undergoes slight modifications and influences according to the local characteristics of climate, culture, and material resources, but maintains the basic principles throughout the world. It is characterized by the use of arch openings, columns, domes, and towers, as well as symbols of the vibration of electromagnetic energy, which acts on molecules and changes the behavior of cells. All Tartarian power stations, small and large, had pipe organs to harmonize and heal the population through sound waves, which is now known as cymatics. The parasites' invading forces that defeated Tartaria appropriated their palaces and red power stations worldwide and turned them into universities, museums, theaters, banks, chambers of commerce, stock exchanges, post offices, libraries, opera theaters, biomedical research institutes, casinos, and tourist attractions, as well as cathedrals, synagogues, and churches of artificially created religions. All the architecture and technology of the superior civilization of Tartaria was stolen and passed into the hands of the invaders who created the current ignorant civilization. I mean, hey, I'm interested, and maybe we have to rethink a lot of the human story. And yeah, I didn't realize we'd go straight to the most emotional examples of slavery and the Holocaust, but if you think history is backcasted and rewritten every couple hundred years to stir up trauma and conflict in particular, I guess it's going to be a pretty all-encompassing undertaking, so these things would just have to be part of that story. And I would be interested in exploring the slavery history a bit more. I noticed when Max mentioned the idea that a fair chunk of the black population was here already, Ross Ben did kind of use the term indigenous to describe Native Americans and black people without much distinction. I'd be curious what he thinks of that history and any potential misrepresentations. How far that history deviates from the story, I wouldn't be the one to say, but it's clear that it's used by the media to further divides today. At least that part's obvious. And the larger issue of racial inequality is about a lot more than just the era of slavery, too. But I think this is a good THC to end the year on. It's one of those epic-level conspiratorial ideas that I think this show is best suited for exploring. And seriously, look at some of the mud flood images. I'm going to include a couple that Max sent to me in the show notes because they are quite curious. So for people who didn't know exactly what this was all about, I hope you do now. For people who have been waiting for us to get into the mud flood and Tartaria stuff, I hope you feel like we did it justice. Lots of smaller threads that tie into this too, like the uh, Da Vinci thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. I believe it's in the second hour, but did you know that Da Vinci's paintings are impossible? Or that experts are actually baffled with how he could hand-paint paintings that are two microns thick? Weird. But, of course, the extra hour contains a lot of this other fun stuff. Old maps with hidden or missing land on the planet. Max's advice for the journey of life. The Da Vinci stuff. 
Max's experiences with ayahuasca, how backwards the story of World War II might be, the strange qualities of granite, the water crisis in Australia, and of course, the latest on the YouTube crackdown and COPPA. If you're interested in hearing more, of course, you can sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus, where I offer extended versions of this podcast. It's what I do for a living, this episode and every episode. But if it's Max's work in particular that you're interested in, everything he puts out is free. So just go to thecrowhouse.com. Either way, that does it for THC in 2019. Of course, sometimes we get a little overexcited about the transition of another man-made calendar year, but it's a positive thing that people reflect on the last chapter of their life and how they want the next chapter to go. So I thought it'd be an appropriate way to end on this sort of manipulated history note. Plus, I think Max is one of the greats. Please let him know if you feel the same way. He's a popular guy online, so I think it would take a lot of feedback to even move the needle for him. But help me out if you can, and maybe we can touch base with Max sooner rather than later next time. And if I had any real message among the inevitable seeing clearly in 2020 memes, it would be to just tone down our certainty and aggression. I think everyone's a bit burnt out on the venom and the judgment and the aggressiveness of opinions these days. Everything seems so amped up. Maybe try to be a counterbalance to that, or at least don't contribute to it. I mean, this is the host of a conspiracy show calling for calm. Who knew we'd see this day? Things have got to be pretty bad, right? But I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about. And if the culture is steering us towards something that we find unpleasant, we shouldn't feed into it. We should also try to be accurate. There are definitely some things we're never going to know, but I think today is a great example of how we can talk about something that is pretty far down on the deep end of the conspiracy pool, but we don't have to marry ourselves to it or create a new hashtag or make up a new story to replace the old one. Just follow the trail wherever it leads. So that's it. I appreciate everyone who listens. I know there are more and more options out there all the time and that you stick around is the best thing I could ask for. You're all the best. Keep being the best you you can be and big cheers to seeing clearly in 2020. Max Egan is the man and I'll see you next time. Your move, history stealers, record sealers, and deception dealers. Your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep till you slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world, scary
we don't have a choice It seems we're stuck here But you can find noses Drown out the noise Now use that altar End up your magic game And listen to THC you know You go with the entities If you ever see the U. For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed But you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know? 